friends. Welcome to the Purity to Polyamory podcast. The podcast where we discuss the journey that is emerging from oppressive religious constructs, whatever that means to you, but specifically ones that emphasize fear and restrictions around our sexuality and walking into the incredible world that is the very opposite spectrum, non-monogamy and polyamory. I'm super stoked you're here today. Today we have a guest that tackles a common issue that comes up with polyamory when it sneaks up on you. I bet a lot of you can really relate to this story. I've heard it a lot. It's a story where this person didn't specifically go out and seek another relationship. It sort of fell into her lap. It brings up a lot of questions that challenge compulsory monogamy. Like, is it possible? to love two people at the same time. What do you do when you don't want to leave the person that you love already? Is there alternative options available to us than ending these long-term marriages and relationships that mean a lot to us in order to seek something else? Something I absolutely love about Brittany, who you'll hear from today, is that she's recently been diagnosed as neurodivergent, specifically on the autism spectrum. My friends who are on the spectrum always seem to sort of call it how it is. And today you'll hear Brittany talk about a really common occurrence that happens for many when you develop feelings or fall in love with someone while being in an existing relationship. These things happen all the time, more than most of us are willing to admit. But Brittany has a way of looking at this situation that's logical and straight to the point. If this is happening to more people than we even realize, why aren't we talking about it? And why is remaining in your existing relationship when you develop feelings for others such a taboo topic? We're going to start off talking about Brittany's background in relation to religion and move into what I call her sneaky polyamory journey from there. I'm so excited for you to hear this one. I think a lot of you, including myself, can relate to the heart-wrenching question of how you'll proceed when you fall in love with another person while in a current loving relationship. If this is your story, you're certainly not alone. Let's get to it. Thank you so much for being here today. I am super excited to talk to you. I know we've talked a little bit over the Instagram, and I'm wanting to hear your story more in full, so I'm excited to hear that today. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and tell us how maybe how you found my page? Yeah. So my name is Brittany, and I am newly polyamorous. It's been probably about like four or five months. And I feel like, honestly, I don't even remember like how your page started popping up. Like, I know it was like pretty early on in the beginning, like when you started posting and things like that. And I like, I identified with it because I, I started deconstructing basically at like the exact same time that I discovered polyamory. Like it was all kind of like a parallel journey or I don't even know that I would consider it parallel because obviously they're kind of like interwoven, interconnected. Um, But it just kind of coincided at the same time. So while like there's a ton of polyamorous resources that I love, I think I most strongly identified with yours coming from a background of like purity culture and everything where I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah, somebody who gets it. Because I'm like, yeah, deconstructing monogamy is a big thing for anybody, I feel like, coming into it. But when you're also like trying to deconstruct purity culture at the same time, it's like a whole different animal. And so like when I discovered your page, I was just like, oh my gosh, yes, this, like this makes sense. Like somebody gets it. I love that. Um, And I'm so happy you're here. I'm wondering how did religion come into your life at what point? And so can you walk me through that story? I was for the most part, 
kind of raised in evangelical Christianity, I was kind of an outcast in it, I feel like, because I came from kind of a train wreck family. So my dad was raised Catholic and my mom wasn't raised with any religion whatsoever. And they met in high school. And I was about three years old when they started going back to church and all that. So I don't really know exactly all the nuances of their journey, but it was very much like I came from sort of a like, for lack of a better term, white trash kind of family where like there's a lot of just drama and abuse. And uh, I came from a family that swore a lot and everything and um, was not necessarily like pure, I guess you could say, but I came to the church when I was a kid. So I kind of grew up, you know, in the church with all the other kids, but because my family was so chaotic at home, I never really kind of like fit in. So I always just kind of felt like I was playing a role or like trying to play pretend because yeah, I never really felt like a church kid, even though I grew up in the church. And my parents, when I was younger, were a lot more radical. I feel like they were kind of like going to church for the community and like had like a loose faith, but weren't really religious. And then as I grew up, became much more so. There was a lot of pressure on me in my preteen years and in my teenage years to embrace purity culture and to, you know, I did the whole thing. I had the promise ring. I got it when I was like 11 and I wasn't going to, you know, have sex before marriage and all that kind of stuff. But I never really believed it. And it was more like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I went through all the motions. I was involved with like youth group and everything. But there was a lot of points where, I, and I think like, because I also discovered I was autistic this year, that like a lot of the pieces are coming together now. But it was more like I was like playing a role that like, I always wondered why my faith wasn't good enough and everything. And it turns out it's because I'm autistic. And I think that the church can be like a really ableist place because I had so many difficulties with like faith and trust and things that I can't see. And it was always made to be like, I was a bad Christian versus like, I don't see the world the same way that you do. I can't imagine hearing a voice that isn't there or having conversations with something I can't see. So it was very much like, Whenever I had doubt, I was told that I didn't have enough faith. And my parents also were very involved in like the healing aspect of faith. Like they, they did kind of like a, they did like a healing school type thing. And there was a lot of like prayer for healing. Um, and I had a lot of trauma surrounding that because even like when my, my eyesight, when it started coming up that my eyesight was bad, whereas like, I feel like a normal family would like be like, okay, we'll get you glasses. Whereas my family took me to healing rooms for like two years and made me like pray about it. And then finally got me glasses when they decided that I didn't have enough faith to be healed. So I had a lot of trauma kind of surrounding all of that because I came in kind of like an extremist, like spiritual view. I was in the family that was like, we're not religious, we're spiritual. And while I consider myself a spiritual person, I've discovered that spirituality looks really different for me because I'm also a very logical person and I believe in science and fact. Um, so I'm still kind of in the process of unpacking all of that. But a lot of my journey had to do with the shame around purity culture and everything because, I mean, obviously my parents were not virgins or anything when they got together. 
And I felt like their expectations were kind of unrealistic and like it was kind of hypocritical. So, you know, I was fooling around with boys and like, oh, but it's not sex, so it's okay. And then it was like, you know, my first real boyfriend, you know, I lost my virginity when I was 17 and everything. And I mean, my relationship with my parents wasn't great before that, but it really just kind of like disintegrated at that point because they just treated me like they were ashamed of me. And um, it was very clear that like their acceptance and love for me was intrinsically tied to what I did with my body. And that never sat very well with me. And even I went to a Christian university. Again, mostly I feel like to please them. I'm an only child. So I felt like an immense amount of pressure to just like make them happy even when we weren't on the greatest of terms. And so I went to a Christian university, but luckily for me, I did so in Canada and Canada tends to be a little bit more liberal and progressive than we are here in the U.S. And so I feel like that just kind of like triggered my whole journey with understanding that like there's more than one way to be a Christian and that not all Christians believe the same thing. So that I think kind of like triggered my journey. And I also I was a theater major. So there was a lot of like getting comfortable with my body and like releasing some of the shame and trauma associated with that. And it was just kind of like a slow progression to the point that I reached earlier this year. Well, kind of the crux of it happened last year with everything um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and just seeing the way that my family responded to that and just like my family's inability to acknowledge racism and things like that, that I was just like, this is not something I want to identify with or be a part of. Like, I just cannot in good conscience maintain that I'm a Christian when all the Christians that I know deny that racism is real or sexism is real and those kinds of things. So I now probably would consider myself an atheist. Like I still, I still feel very strongly, like I hold to like kind of a a belief in a creator, but definitely not the God that's portrayed in the Bible. So I'm in the middle of unpacking all of that stuff, but that's kind of been my journey. And so when I started to let go of the Bible as inerrant truth, that's when everything else started disintegrating for me as well, where I was like, well, then why these rules about relationships and marriage for reference? Like I've been married for eight years now and my marriage has never looked like what you would consider like a biblical marriage, um, just because I feel like my husband grew up very differently. And so he never kind of put those pressures or expectations on the roles in our relationship. And he was always very supportive of my radical feminism. (laughs) And so like our marriage never really looked like that. So I started being like, well, then why this and why that? And just questioning everything. And we started having these conversations where I'm like, okay, well, if you don't care, like I never had to go through that thing where like I couldn't have male friends or anything like that because it just kind of was an expectation coming into our relationship that I had male friends already. So we never had to unpack all of that. And really for us, it just came down to the sex thing. For me, it was like, well, then why is my identity who I have sex with? Like, why is, why does that change who I am? And thankfully for me, my husband is also neurodivergent. So we just kind of see the world the same way. So it was a very easy conversation. Like, obviously it wasn't, it didn't kickstart super easily, but 
I feel like it resolved pretty easily because we have kind of the same mindset where we don't see the world as black and white and there's a lot more gray areas. And I feel like I just totally took your question and went in an entirely different direction with it. I you can tell it. I have ADHD. No, I absolutely love everything you said. I'm like noting in my head all the things I want to ask. So when you were like a young adult or in your teenage and young adult years and you were sexually active, like were your parents, did they know or were you keeping that sort of like on the DL from them because you were trying to get their approval still? Yeah, I think it was very much like I was I was trying to live like I wasn't, but I, it was kind of also like, who am I kidding? Like, because I grew up in a really enmeshed family with a lot of spiritual abuse. So like, it was very much like my dad, you know, would always imply that like God would tell him stuff about me and things like that. So I felt like I really couldn't keep anything secret from my, from my parents, especially my dad. Um, my mom was a little bit more checked out, I would say. <laughs> so it was easier for me to like hide stuff from her and not talk to her about stuff. But my dad just kind of was like, I know everything and very involved in everything. So I think we just kind of got to the point where it was like, okay, I know he knows I'm sexually active, but we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to do anything in my parents' house and we're just going to pretend like this isn't happening. But it was kind of just like an unspoken thing with us. And I think that's also why there was like a lot of shame around it and everything because it still wasn't a lot of the language that he would use and things like that. Like I remember even when I got like my second set of ear piercings when I was like 13 or something like that. And it wasn't a big deal. And then they like closed up and then I got them re-pierced when I was like 16. And my dad like started like acting like it was whorish to have that many piercings. And I was like, wait a second, what just, what changed? I don't understand. There was like a lot of, I feel like as I started like growing into like womanhood where like, I now stopped being my dad's little girl and started being this like whore over here, you know, for lack of a better word. I'm like, I'm sorry. That's very colorful language. I just like, there was a very direct shift when it was like, oh, I'm clearly sexually active or like fooling around or whatever. And it just, there's a lot of stuff that I'm still unpacking from all of that, but it was very much like, we all knew what was happening, but we're not going to talk about it. But it was very clear that like he treated me differently and everything. So we had a lot of issues with that. And it's our relationship started improving when I got married because it was like, you know, I mean, my parents and that's the funny thing, too, is because like my parents loved my boyfriend that I was with at the time. They have always liked my boyfriends and typically have treated my boyfriends better than they've treated me, buying them like more extravagant gifts and acting like they're the son they never had. And it's very clear. You start to see this like patriarchal view of the world in that like it was very clear that guys had more value than I did. Right. Yeah. Like almost like a savior complex. Like, oh, they're going to yes. come in. They're going to save our daughter who is just this, in your terms, whore out on the streets. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's very much like a, well, you know, I'm doing my best to tame her, but like, okay, you'll come along. And that's the thing is like when my dad met my now husband, he had like a cross necklace on, like my, you know, my now husband had a cross necklace on and my dad like later was like, I hope he wasn't wearing that for my benefit. I'm like, no, he just always wears that. And it was like, you could just tell that like, oh, okay, well, this is a godly man. So you're in good hands kind of thing. 
and same thing. I mean, my ex-boyfriend, even the one that I lost my virginity to, you know, he was Catholic and everything. So it was very much like, oh, well, you know, even though we don't like the circumstances, we don't like the sex outside of marriage. At least she's in good hands. She's with a godly man kind of thing. And, um, I mean, it was very, very patriarchal. Like, I mean, my, my husband, I mean, we were very young when we got together. We were 20 and 21. So, of course, he was going to ask my dad for his blessing to marry me and everything. But it was just like, I mean, my dad went so far as to offer his blessing before my then boyfriend even asked for it. I mean, he knew we were very serious and everything. But it's just like, it's very clear that I was like proper to be, to be passed over. And just the fact that like, our relationship improved and got better once I was no longer his spiritual responsibility. And I was now in the hands of my husband, you know, that it was like, Oh, the pressure's off. And I mean, obviously we still had a whole plethora of issues, but there was less shame and less like looking down on me because I was now not his responsibility. And so that's been something that like has been a ton to like unpack and kind of like, just make sense of in my deconstruction and you know like I mean I've always been a little bit out there I was like a radical environmentalist when I was like eight I made my parents change toilet paper brands because the one we were using was depleting the rainforests and so I mean my whole life my dad's been like you're such a hippie and like you're such a feminist and you're so strong-willed and like saying all this stuff like it's so bad and I would always be like but you raised me. So like, I mean, the whole nature versus nurture argument aside, like I am this way either due to your genetics or due to your parenting. So I just always like couldn't reconcile. Why do you hate me so much? Like you made me this way. It's kind of funny because like I look back at when I discovered polyamory, it was like kind of like everything clicked and I was just like, holy shit, I've always been this way. And just at the same time, like unpacking my sexuality and everything, like I identify as pansexual, but that's not something that I could come to terms with until I deconstructed because I grew up in the kind of Christianity where homosexuality is wrong, which was another thing that I could just never reconcile. I have a lot of, you know, family members who are part of the LGBTQ community and um, even, you know, going to a progressive liberal Christian school and being in the theater department, I mean, there are very few people I'm friends with that are straight. So I, again, could not reconcile this idea of Christianity where heterosexuality is the only accepted type of be a way of being. And so that was a big part of my deconstruction and everything too. And, and just looking back and realizing, wow, I was always this way. I just didn't feel safe to be this way. And it very strongly aligns with my polyamory. I feel like from the research I've been doing and everything I've been reading, like polyamory hits a little bit different when people are, identify as pansexual because it's just kind of like the same way where like, I don't, I don't love somebody because of their anatomical parts. I also don't love somebody because of a role that they can fill in my life, if that makes sense. So like, I, it's not about having sex with multiple people for me. It's not about dating. Like I really have never had an interest in like online dating or anything like that. That's just very much not my experience. And I know that was a big fear for um, my husband and my now boyfriend that they're always like, oh, well, are you going to start like, you know, going on dating apps and dating people? And I'm like, no, because that's not me. Like that is very much one type of non-monogamy and it's not what I identify with. Um, I feel like I very much stumbled into polyamory because I fell in love with my friend. 
And I realized that I didn't lose my love for my husband. And I was like, wait, it's possible to love more than one person. And then when I started like unpacking all of that and researching that, I'm like, of course it is. Because I was the person when I was in junior high that like, I didn't understand why everybody was moving their boyfriends to their top one on MySpace over their best friend. Because I was like, how do I choose? I love my best friend and we've been together longer than me and my boyfriend. Why would I make him my number one? And so it's just funny, like looking back now because everybody else was like, oh, I'm dating this person. They became my number one. And I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. And just very much like my best friend um, in junior high and the beginning of high school, we were very, very close. And we would say, I love you and everything. And I just remember my parents being so uncomfortable about that. And like, you don't tell friends that you love them and them being like, really concerned that our relationship was inappropriate and that I was going to become a lesbian and everything. And I like, I didn't understand that at all because I didn't have any sexual attraction to her. And I was like, what is wrong with telling her that I love her? Obviously I love her. Like you love family. Why is it any different? So it's just funny, like looking back on all that and I'm like, oh shit, I've always been polyamorous. Mm -hmm. I just have been monogamous when it comes to sexual relationships. So then I started deconstructing, well, why why is sex an issue? And I mean, we, I'm sure we'll touch on that later uh, because I know we've talked about like how I ended up with my boyfriend and everything. Um, but yeah. So. So one thing that I pull from your story that I think is pretty common is this really damaging and frankly traumatic belief that, especially women. And I'm a woman, so I, I can see that perspective. I don't know how it affects men necessarily, but the idea that we are, you know, the gatekeepers to holding the sexual purity. And then Mm -hmm. we get married and sign a contract that day. And then next day, suddenly we're holy. And like, to be able to like reconcile that is really difficult. And I don't know, I just saw that in your story because it sounds like your dad was like, thought of you in this way. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had this wonderful man and savior come in that was going to make you holy now and like provide you marriage. So no longer are you living in sin anymore. And what a complete mindfuck that is. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like, even I, I'm kind of like, Mm, low to no contact with my parents now as of the last couple months because of all this. And I have not come out to them about being polyamorous or the specifics of my sexuality or anything like that. But I did, you know, when I started deconstructing, it was very confusing because like my parents are the kind of Christians that feel like, you know, they're being persecuted against and we're not allowed to pray in schools and we can't talk about God at work and everything. And so they're very um, defensive about their Christianity and like it's tied to their identity. Like you can't expect us to not talk about it kind of thing without acknowledging the spiritual trauma that I experienced. And the fact that for a lot of us, it's not that we, you know, don't appreciate your right to believe what you believe. It's that your belief is harmful to us and triggering to us. So we just don't want to hear about it, you know? And so that's the thing for me is that like, whenever my parents mentioned prayer, I instantly like get paralyzed with fear and discomfort because of what that means for me. You know, for me, prayer is being dragged to healing rooms when I was, you know, nine or 10 years old and being told that I didn't have enough faith. So for me, I have always struggled with the idea of prayer since I was very young. 
And that's not, uh, that's something that's very triggering for me. And my parents have made it clear that they have no intention to filter what they say or be mindful of how their words and actions affect me. And so I started to pull away and didn't necessarily communicate it very well because I wasn't raised with excellent communication. So while I strive to have healthy communication, and I think like we can all pretty much acknowledge that's very important to polyamory, I still struggle with that with my parents because they don't feel like safe people to communicate with. For me, I made the decision to kind of just pull away. And they were like, why? Why? You know, we still love you and everything. And I, you know, so finally I ended up telling my mom, well, I identify with the LGBTQ community again, trying to speak in their language, even though I want to be like, Hey, I'm gay. (laughs) Um, but I tried to like speak in their language and in terms that they can understand. And I'm sure it was very confusing for them because for them, they're struggling to know what that means. And I think like for them, their, their first thought was like, Oh, you know, either I'm divorcing my husband so that I can pursue relationships with people of the same sex or, um, you know, uh, my relationship with my husband is now a loveless, sexless relationship so that I can pursue other things. And it's not something that I, I feel safe clarifying with that. Like, Oh no, we're still good. <laughs> There's um, another option. Mom yeah, and Dad. Did can, you know? <laughs> I can be non-exclusive. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. And I, I think too, just growing up in the church, you know, like I, I am a flight attendant. So I know many, many people of all different walks of life. And I've known a lot of people who have open marriages and open relationships and are in more of like, you know, they're either swinging or, you know, they're open to hooking up or dating or things like that. And I was in this mindset before because of my biases and the way that I was raised that that meant that they didn't love each other. You know what I mean? That like they weren't happy in their relationships that they were looking for something else. I just had this really strong bias that I was not aware of where it's like, no, it is possible to be open to loving other people and it not mean that there are issues in your primary, I, I don't even like using the word primary because I'm, I'm very non-hierarchical polyamorous, but in, in the relationship that you already have that's existing, it is possible for it to be a healthy, loving relationship and you to still have relationships with other people, sexual or not, you know, it's not a threat. One does not discount the other. Yeah. Um, and so that was like a huge, like revelation for me that just kind of like turned my life upside down. And it's something like, like I knew my parents would not understand that they can only look at it from their lens. And so I just figured I was like, I don't really feel like wasting my breath. And because of the person that I am, that I feel so passionately about having authentic relationships that, um, have open communication and everything it just got to the point where it's like every, every interaction with my parents is so like surface level. And I think that's another aspect of being autistic is like, I hate small talk. Like, I'm like, tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. Tell me about your trauma. Tell me about what you're passionate about. Tell me about your special interests. I don't want to hear about the weather. I don't want to make small talk about sports. And I mean, like, unless you're really into sports, then tell me about it. Cause I want to hear it. Like, that's one thing I'm like, I'm not super 
knowledgeable, but like my husband does like fantasy football and I'm like, okay, explain it to me. How does it work? Like, how do you draft your team and everything? Because I love the way that he lights up when he talks about it, even though I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) So for me, it's just like, I don't want to have some surface level conversation that doesn't mean anything. And it got to the point where that's all my relationship with my parents is. And so the same way where I'm like, there's no rules for relationships other than the rules that you make for them. I don't really see rules around family the same way anymore either, where I'm like, oh, we're family. We have to stay in touch and we have to have this kind of relationship. I'm like, but why? If it's not serving either of us, if you guys feel like I'm judging you and I feel like you're judging me, what do any of us have to gain from this relationship? Like we're just maintaining it out of some false sense of duty. And I'm not about that. I'm not that kind of person. I know I don't, I'm, I don't exist to fill a role. Like I am a person in and of myself. And so if, if I'm not getting anything out of this relationship and neither are you, why don't we just call it like it is? But it's something that I'm still, it's very fluid. And that's why I say like low to no contact because, um, I have, I have two kids. I have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old and my seven-year-old is very attached to my parents and she loves them. We lived with them for a couple of years. So it's still very much a work in progress where I'm learning, okay, how do I protect myself, but still allow them to maintain that relationship? Because I feel very strongly like if she hasn't felt damaged or hurt by their relationship, then I want her to be able to maintain that relationship. And she's seven. So in order for them to have a relationship, they kind of have to go through me. I mean, I feel like it's the same thing when you have to co-parent with somebody that you're no longer with anymore. Like, so I try to find a way to do it respectfully without violating boundaries for myself. And I will say that a lot of times my husband ends up being the middleman because it's not as sensitive for him. But um, yeah, I'm still very guarded and very protected because of my experience with them. So it's like, you know, I'm very on guard and looking for signs that she feels loved and accepted for who she is and that she's not trying to fill a role because already I see a lot of similar tendencies in her to like people please and to like, you know, mask and to, and to fill this role to please them. And I don't ever want her to feel like, you know, I like for Christianity, for example, I'm like, if she, if she wants to be a Christian and she believes in God and she wants to pray, I am all for that, even though it's not something that I, fall into, but I just want to make sure that it's genuine for her. And it's not because it makes my parents happy, you know? So it's been a very like complicated process of unpacking all of that, but it's one that I feel like all of these paths are like interwoven. And again, why I love purity to polyamory, because I'm like, you can't, you can't look at one without looking at the other. I feel like, like we have a very different journey than the people who grew up with no faith and are polyamorous, you know, like there's still social um, expectations and cultural norms to get past, but it's like we have a whole different experience coming from purity culture as well. I see a lot of parallels just in terms of being able to ask ourselves what kind of value different connections bring into our lives. And some of those connections are family. And I think, at least for myself on this journey, I have had to really break down the why behind why I continue to have connections with people who leave me feeling depleted and leave me feeling unhealthy. And unfortunately, that does mean that sometimes you have to put people in a different 
circle. Like you have to move them out on your circle, right? Yeah. And it might be for a time, it might be forever, but it's really beautiful to sort of be able to just really honestly ask yourself, which people in my life do I want on the inner circle? And are they bringing judgment or are they investing in me and supporting me to be my authentic self? Yeah, I very much agree with that because I've kind of experienced that in a lot of my friendships as well, where there's been a lot of shifting of circles based on me coming out as pansexual and polyamorous and all this other stuff because, you know, it's funny that like I see a lot of people where they're like, oh, that's... I totally support that, but not closely. Like, so like a lot of my friends are more progressive Christians who are like, yes, all about that. But as soon as it's somebody in their inner circle, it takes on a very different tone. So I've had a lot of people that I honestly thought would respond better to my coming out and, and to me being more authentically myself. And it's resulted kind of in like a pulling away And like, not so much in things that are said, but it's just like, you know, it feels different. And so I'm like, as much as they have been like huge parts of my life and been very supportive and been present in my marriage and everything like that, you know, people who stood behind, stood beside me on my wedding day that like, again, still live in this mindset that like, if I'm able to love somebody else, it means that I don't love him. And that is harmful to me. I can't surround myself with people like that. Like they can still be in my world, but they don't carry as much weight anymore. They're not in the inner circle because I, I am like fiercely protective of my husband. I love him like crazy. Like he is my best friend. And so I'm very much like, if you so much as question the way that I feel about him, you obviously don't know me. You know, I'm like, you don't deserve to be in my inner circle if you can even question the way that I feel about him because I have so much love for him and it is harmful to me to surround myself with people who reinforce this idea that loving somebody else means I don't love him. So I just was fascinated by that. I'm like, yes, very much so. Like there's a lot of shifting of circles and things like that. And it doesn't mean you necessarily have to cut people out or that it's forever, but it's about what is healthy for you right now. In your perception, do you feel like those people are either, because this is my experience as well. I've had to move, you know, certain people into certain different rings of my circle because of these same things. Do you feel like it's either one, that they might feel threatened by the idea that there's an alternative to monogamy and what that says about their own relationship, their own life, or two, they might just not really understand it at all. And they're also just not really willing to try to understand it. Yeah, I definitely think it's a combination of both, um, given the people in my life anyways. Um, I, because I am such a lover of like, uh, human behavior and psychology and communication and all this stuff. Like, like I said, I went to school for theater, which is really like studying human behavior. And like, I really wanted to minor in like psychology or something like that. I took a lot of psychology and sociology classes. I like consider myself to be constantly in therapy because I'm just like, everyone could use therapy. Like I'm very much about like human behavior. So I do fall into the trap of like, analyzing people. And so I do, I spend a lot of time thinking about that 
And uh, I do think it's a combination of both. And at the same time, at the end of the day, I also feel like, at least when it comes to friendships and like the people that are important to you, I'm like, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter why is the way that I view it. I'm like, as a society, yes, I definitely think those things and those are things that I want to challenge. But when it comes to friendships, like I try not to therapize my friends because I would never want them to do that to me, right? Like, I feel like that's basically the flip side of what I'm accusing them of, right? That they're thinking that like, my lifestyle or the choices that I'm making mean that I don't really love my husband, right? Which is a form of, I feel like, inaccurately therapizing me. So I try not to do the same with them. Like, obviously, I have my theories as to why it's an uncomfortable situation for them. And at the end of the day, I try to tell myself, you know what? I love them regardless. And this is obviously a trigger for them, either because of what's going on in their relationship or what has gone on in past relationships. And obviously my lifestyle is triggering for them right now. And it's something they're not comfortable being around. And so I've gotten to the point where I am just trying to like give them the space that they need and hope that like, if we are truly friends, it'll, it'll come back around. It'll resolve itself at some point in the future. But then again, I'm not the greatest at that because I, I am very like, I think like this is a common thing that comes up in the neurodivergent community too, where it's like, I really like do the best with like other friends who are ADHD and stuff. Cause you know, like we're the kind of friends who it's like, we can go like, you know, months without talking that it's like no time has passed kind of thing. Like those are the only kind of the friendships that I'm really able to maintain because I'm not a consistent person. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like that's, I actually was just talking to my husband about this yesterday because I was trying to explain to him what a comet is. And I'm like, man, like that is just like my ideal is like comets. Like, I just feel like that is what like lights my soul up because I'm like, you don't expect anything from me. Like you don't need me to, you know, fill some kind of role in order for us to be friends. And so it feels like this has just kind of been a triggering process for me to filter out people like that, that like, yes, they were awesome, amazing friends in my life when I was able to pour into the relationship the way that they also needed. But now that like I live in a different country or I live in a different place and my life looks very different, I no longer am able to fill that need for them and they no longer need me. And so like, I, I think that there are two very different, um, at least from what I've come across with polyamory, like there's, there's like kind of these mindsets. Some people fall into polyamory as like having people that meet different needs. And then there are the people that are like, it's not fair to expect somebody to fill a role or to serve a purpose. Like they're a person, not you know, not an archetype. And like, for me, that's where I kind of line up that like, I struggle the most to explain polyamory to people, because I feel like so many people want to be like, Oh, so this is the one like, which partner is this? Is this the one that like, you have really hot sex with? Or is this the one that like, you know, you can have deep conversations with and I'm like, it's not it's not that black and white. And that's kind of like how I found these friendships to be too. Like the friendships that I had were the kind of friendships where it's like, you know, Oh, we're friends. As long as we talk this amount of frequency and like, Oh, if you can support me in, in these different things, but it's like, if you're not like 
good with this, then we're not friends anymore. And that's very much been my experience with friendships. And um, I think why it's so easy for me to embrace polyamory is because of how healing my relationship with my husband has been. And the fact that like, I'm not expected to fill a role or to serve a purpose and that he is very able to kind of just let me do my own thing. Like, obviously we're not without issues and we're not without traumas that we have to work through, but he is also very committed to recognizing that what I do with my life, with my time, with my body is not a reflection of how I feel about him or what role he can fill you know, and that's just been very freeing. And so I feel like the same approach I've taken to romantic relationships with polyamory is how I'm starting to view friendships as well. So I have like people that I work with again, like as a flight attendant, a lot of times I'll work with somebody and then not see them again for literally years until I run into them again. And I consider them better friends than some of the people that I see on a consistent basis, simply because we kind of like align with like similar mindsets and the way that we feel and there's no pressure with them, you know? So it's been kind of cool to unpack that too and be like, Oh, a friend is not somebody that you spend X amount of time with or that you, you know, do these certain activities with. It's somebody that like is like a kindred spirit that like you see the world in a similar way or you challenge each other in a specific way that is healthy and, and like, you know, fulfilling. Yes. I love all of that so much. And I think there's just this like extra pressure on how long have you known this person or like, what's your connection like, instead of just like, no, I could meet someone today, spend an hour talking to them and just the vibration between us, like the chemistry between us is just so special already. You know, you know, that person's going to be really important. And I just feel like polyamory gives us the space to sort of explore that in such an unconventional way with both relationships and friendships. Yeah. It's so interesting to see like how all this stuff is interconnected and the way that people view relationships. Like a lot of them want to make polyamory a sex thing. And really I feel like it's no, it's how I view the world and how I view myself because I very much identify with that. Like I've been with my husband for nine years. I've been with my boyfriend for four months and I could not tell you that one of them is more important to me or that I'm closer with one of them than the other, because that same thing, like my boyfriend and I, when we met, like we, we both, yeah, had that feeling like you're going to be somebody significant in my life. Like you're going to be important to me. And at the time we didn't know it was going to be this kind of a relationship, but it's just funny too, because like when I, when I do open up to people and I tell them about my polyamory, I think there's this um, mindset that like, oh, my husband is my real partner and my boyfriend is my fling. And it's very hard to like explain to people. I'm like, no, this is not a casual thing between my boyfriend and I. Like, I mean, I'm at his place right now. I have keys to his place. I have a bunch of stuff here. I mean, like, this is not casual. Like, we're very serious about each other and we talk about the future and he's involved in my kids' lives. And it's, this is not like a casual fleeting thing, but like, try explaining that to people (laughs) because they're like, well, you've only been together for four months and like, you're married. And I'm like, and so what? Mm -hmm. So that's just like challenging too. I mean, even with him and I, like we have a lot of that that we have to unpack because we're in a monopoly relationship. So there's a lot of things that like it, it can be challenging to try and explain to him because he's like, but you're married. And I'm like, 
marriage means something very different to me than it does to you. I'm like, this is not my other half. Like I, I struggle with how to like define things because like any term I use feels too reductive. Like it's, it's, it's too minimizing for what somebody means to me. So I, I try to explain it. I'm like, my, my husband is like my best friend. Like he's like my roommate. He's my ride or die. Like he's the one that like I go to amusement parks with and I like go on crazy adventures with. And like, you know, our, our, we just like have a blast together. And whereas, you know, my, my relationship with my boyfriend is much more like deep and like romantic and a lot more like, you know, stereotypical what you see of couples on TV or whatever. But that doesn't mean that I don't have fun and like goof around with my boyfriend. And it also doesn't mean that I don't have like moments of connection and deep, like meaningfulness with my husband. And so it's like, again, like try explaining that to people. I'm like, because it doesn't have to be one or the other, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and what is wrong with like, I, I always try to explain it. I'm like, what if I like married my best friend? Like, like, and we like, you know, like queer platonic relationships. Like there's a lot of people who like, there's no sex, but like they do life together, you know? So I'm just like, I'm all about like unpacking. I'm like, why are we so obsessed with sex? Like why, why does that define who I am, who I have sex with, you know? Yeah, I think until you've really, truly experienced what it's like to love two people at the same time or more, um, it's really hard to explain to people who have never had that experience before because in so many people's minds, it just like literally isn't a thing. Like you, it's love is for one person. And then if you... feel this way towards someone else, you must not love that person. And it's just like, it doesn't work like that. I know. And I think we have a unique perspective too. Like, like when you're a mother or something, right? Like you try to explain it like that. Like, well, like you don't have a favorite kid. And then I go out here and I find out there are a lot of people who do. And I'm like, man, I feel bad for your kids. Like, I'm like, of course I have moments where I'm like, okay, my daughter is being an asshole right now. Like (laughs) I would rather hang out with my son, but then there's times too, where I'm like, okay, you're being a little shit. I want to go hang out with your sister, you know? So it's just like, I don't, like one of them is not more important to me than the other. I don't love one more than the other. And like, I, I don't understand why that is such a hard concept for people to understand. Cause when I talk about that, about kids, they're like, yeah, but it's not the same thing. And I'm like, but why? I just can't understand why. And I'm like, is it cause I'm autistic? Like, what am I missing here? People? I don't get this. And it's just, I mean, it is just sex, right? In romance, yeah. I guess. You can love your children the same Yeah, it just, it's very confusing concept for myself as well. Like, I'm ultimately very confused as to why we've all decided that love just has to be with one human. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like, a conversation that my boyfriend and I were actually having this morning where I'm, like, I'm, like, like, I'm not trying to be so stubborn like I'm in the right here but I'm like science is on my side dude I'm like I feel like this is the argument of like you know uh oh god I'm probably getting really controversial here so feel free to edit out anything that you want to but I feel like you know even when it comes to like the argument of like anti-vax versus vaxxing I'm like okay but science is very clearly on one side I'm like you have to acknowledge that the reason why you feel a certain way is because of your personal biases that you're bringing into things. You know what I mean? Like based on your experiences that like 
somebody had a negative, like somebody in your world had a negative outcome from this or whatever. But if you, if you step back and you look at the science, there is a clear answer, you know? And I feel like that's the same thing with polyamory or non-monogamy. I'm like, science is on our side. Like monogamy is a very new construct. It's a very uh, new thing. And I think even if you look out in nature, like, I mean, humans, yes, we are civilized. Yes, we have this like, you know, um, I can't even think of the word right now, but you know, like we have that awareness that like animals maybe don't or whatever. And like we have societies and stuff, but when you step back and you look at it, like we're animals and like not very many animals are monogamous by nature. Like it's just, and, and neither are we like, it's very much a social thing that we have accepted as the norm. And it just shows you honestly, in my mind, the power of Christianity and the patriarchy and all this stuff. I mean, I go even more so like, I mean, I love remodeled love on Instagram because I just like, Jess is like uh, on the same wavelength as me because I'm very anti-capitalism as well, where I'm like, yes, the, the whole idea of monogamy and the patriarchy and everything, it serves capitalism and it serves the people that are in power. And like, there's a very, very like controlled perspective that is put out there. And I think that I have that perspective too, is coming from like the industry of, you know, I, like I said, I went to school for theater. I moved to LA to pursue an acting career. I have a lot of friends who are actors, directors, casting directors, writers. And I've been in that world for the past like four or five years. And it is very clear that the things that get made and the things that get produced serve an agenda. You know, the things that are mass produced and the people who are in control in Hollywood, like, yes, we are starting to see more diversity. We are starting to see more of those things. But again, it's still through a lens of capitalism and patriarchy because it still serves a purpose. Like if you look in, in the rooms, like, so you might look on a show and you might see representation, you see people of color, you see, um, you know, people from the LGBTQ community, but in the writer's room, it's still, you know, 90% white men, you know, like, and I, I mean, don't quote me on the actual statistics of that, but the majority is white men. They are still the ones that are controlling. They're the ones that are the executives and the ones that hold the money and they're the gatekeepers, you know, like they decide what gets made. They decide who gets represented and how. And so even when it comes to diversity, I get really frustrated because I see so much of it is still a white male and then everyone else is cast around them. So like they'll have a white male. So then you have to cast a person of color as a female role to complement that. You know what I mean? But how often do you see a white female with a man of color, you know, that is not portrayed as much. And so there's very clearly an agenda and there's very clearly like a picture that gets put out there and it's crazy how powerful it is. And it like seeps into like, you know, just this, this white centric view of the world that is like, oh, Americans and they're by Christians because we are a Christian nation. We have it right. We have all the answers and we go and colonize every other country out there and believe that our way is the right way. Mm -hmm. And I just have never been able to get on board with that or understand why 
no one is questioning that or or rising up against it. I guess not nobody, but I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I've been on this earth almost 30 years and I feel like nothing's really changed that much. And I know that's like a, just a slice of time in the, in the grand scheme of things, but I'm like, really, why does it take this long to affect change? Why is everybody attacking a 16 year old that's speaking up for climate change and things like that? I'm like, why won't you just listen and consider that you might be wrong? Yeah. That's a hard thing to do, apparently. (laughs) Apparently, yes. (laughs) So can you tell me, because I hear your story, I've heard your story before, and it sounds like we had a a sneaky polyamory moment, or I guess polyamory came on to you in a sneaky way. Like you didn't go out and seek another relationship. Ah, yes. So this is also my argument for the way that I view polyamory and why I feel so strongly about it is because, again, I feel like when people are like, okay, so say like you're in this marriage, and I think this happens a lot. I think we see these stories coming from purity culture, right? Where like, you know, you got married super young and um, you didn't have a lot of life experiences and you kind of reach this point, especially I see it a lot in the deconstruction circles. Like, you know, I'm on a lot of the Facebook pages for like ex-angelicals and, and all that kind of stuff. And you see like this movement of non-monogamy within those communities because we just didn't know it was an option. Right. So for a lot of people, they're like, Oh, I didn't realize that like, this is something that I could pursue without throwing everything away. Right. Or like I can, I can still be with the person that I love, but I can explore other options. And I think for a lot of people that translates into, okay, we're both going to start dating and we're going to seek out people and we're going to try this new dynamic. And again, it, I don't think it justifies the argument, but the people who make that argument see it as justification that, oh, that means you're unhappy in your relationship and that like, you know, you're, you're looking for something to make your life more meaningful or for more fulfilling. Right. And I think that that, is why they feel so affirmed in that stance on polyamory. Whereas like, I feel like I came to it in a totally different way, which strengthens the argument for polyamory because I have been with my husband for nine years and I freaking adore him. And I think that like anybody who knows us, who sees us knows that about us. Like we're not without our issues, but like I have never felt like I made a mistake. I never felt like I rushed into things or that like he wasn't the right person for me or questioned a life with him. And I've never felt unfulfilled or like I have needs that aren't being met and I need to look for those elsewhere. I've been very content in my relationship with him. So I kind of stumbled on polyamory because I fell in love with a friend. (laughs) So what happened for me was, again, I work as a flight attendant and somebody that I work with, I connected with, um, we really like hit it off. And I was very much from the get-go and was like, you know, I'm not going to sleep with you, right? And he was always like, I'm not trying to sleep with you. And I was like, okay, I'm just saying, because, you know, I, I have had a lot of guy friendships that like started out as friendships that turned into like, they want to hook up with me or they're getting friend zone, you know, all that patriarchal crap that's like oh guys and girls can't be friends and um so I was very much like a wary like because this idea had been planted in my head from the patriarchy and from the church that like guys only want one thing and that it's not possible for us to be just friends that really he has ulterior motives and he really wants to hook up with me and even though he's saying he doesn't want to hook up with me he really does want to hook up with me 
So I kind of had a lot of that trauma in the beginning of our connection, but he really and truly just wanted to be friends with me. It did not help that he has kind of a reputation and has had casual relationships with several people at our work. (laughs) But, um, so that was, was definitely impacting my view and everything too. But I just maintained from the beginning, I was like, I love my husband. I have no intentions of messing anything up with my husband and I'm not going to sleep with you. And he was like, that's fine. I just want to be your friend. And I'm like, okay, cool. And, uh, you know, so we started talking and, uh, messaging on Instagram and things like that. And I was very open with my husband about it from the beginning. Like, Oh yeah. You know, I'm talking to my friend from work and everything. And like I said, he's used to me having guy friends, but it got to the point where like my now boyfriend and I were like, you know, messaging every day, you know, talking all day, talking about like really like heavy stuff, like deep stuff and everything. And I'm like, Okay. So I started questioning, you know, because you hear all the time in the church about emotional affairs and things like that too. And I'm like, okay, so what constitutes an emotional affair? So I do my autistic thing and I get on Google and I start searching like what, what, what constitutes an emotional affair? Like, what is it a problem having friends of the opposite sex? And, you know, cause I kept asking my husband, I was like, you know, we're talking a lot. Is that okay? And he's like, I don't care. And I'm like, okay. So then I'm like, well, maybe he's just not aware there's an issue and there's really an issue. And so I'm like Googling and everything and everything I'm coming across is like, well, as long as you're not like telling this person things you would never tell your spouse or like hiding things or being secretive from your spouse and everything. And I was like, oh, well, that's not an issue because I tell both of them everything. Right. (laughs) Like, so I'm like, that's obviously not a problem. And, you know, I started, (laughs) this is the other aspect of everything is that I'm demisexual So as I developed a relationship with my now boyfriend is I started being attracted to him, which is not something that was really an issue from the beginning. So I don't experience attraction with strangers. And so the more I got to know him, the more I started being attracted to him. But I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's all good. And the opportunity came up for us to work a trip together. So we, when we met, we just worked like two flights together. We just did a turn. But the opportunity came up for us to work a four-day trip together and have like layovers together and hang out and everything. And he was like, I really want to hang out with you. And like, I really want to like take you out, like not as a date. Like I just feel bad because you're like, you're a mom and like you have kids and you never get to go out and stuff and you deserve that. Like I want you, you know, to just relax and have a night out and not have to worry about it. He's like, I know you're always worried about money and you're worried about this and that. And I just want to show you a good time. And I was like, okay. So again, I like asked my husband, I'm like, is this okay? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, okay, but like, what are the boundaries? Like, what are you not going to be comfortable with? Like, I feel like that's a very autistic thing that I'm like, like, we're just, we're so used to being unaware of societal expectations that we often find ourselves upsetting people and we didn't see it coming because we weren't aware of what the rules or what the expectations were. So I feel like I have grown up, I mean, I didn't know I was autistic until recently, but my trauma shaped me to where I'm like, okay, I want to know all the rules. I want to, I want to fully understand what's allowed and what's not allowed so that I don't unintentionally break the rules. So I was very much a rule follower. And so I'm like, okay, so what are the boundaries? He's like, well, just don't sleep in the same bed. And I'm like, okay, like that's easy. I'm not going to sleep in the same bed as him. Like we're going to be at a hotel. We both have our own rooms. So why would we sleep in the same bed? So we worked this four day trip together and he took me out to dinner and we hung out and like watched TV together and watched a movie and just like 
we like the same music. And like, we literally were like inseparable for that four days, except when we went to sleep, like he went to his room. I was in my room. We went to sleep. And, uh, then at the end of my trip, like normally I would get a hotel room, you know, because I, I work in a city that I, I don't live in. So I would get a hotel room at the end of my trip before I could go home. And he was like, don't get a hotel room. Come stay at my place. He's like, don't waste your money or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Like this is, this is obviously like not okay. Like I felt comfortable with him, but I was like, oh, I definitely should check, check with my husband about this. And so, you know, I gave him a call and I'm like, you know, he's offering for me to stay there instead of like spending money on a hotel room. And of course we're always stressed about money. So I'm like, you know, no big deal. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. I trust you. Again, don't sleep in the same bed. I'm like, okay, well, that's easy. So I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll take you up on that. So I, you know, came to his apartment and, you know, again, we hung out on the couch, watched the show. And I was like falling asleep on his shoulder because I'm so tired, like on the couch. And so he like woke me up, was like super respectful. He's like, I know you need to call home and, and, you know, and check in at home and everything. So I didn't want to just like let you fall asleep. And then, you know, he's insisting I sleep in his bed. He'll sleep on the couch. Very like chivalrous. I'm like, I can sleep on a couch, dude. I've slept on a lot of couches. And he's like, yeah, but I have a really nice like Tempur-Pedic bed. So you're going to go sleep on my bed. I'll sleep on the couch. I'm like, all right, whatever. But just like in that moment of like sitting on the couch with him, like we both kind of like felt it. And I was like, I am very much attracted to him and I would like to have sex with him, but I would never, ever, ever in a million years do anything to hurt my husband. Right. And so I, it was very much a moment where I was like, crap, what did I get myself into? And so when I got home, I, I, again, like I started researching like all these feelings, like why am I like, I'm a feeling attracted to him and everything. And I, like I have all these feelings of love and everything. And I'm like, I started Googling, like, can you love two people at the same time? Like things like that, because I very much like, I felt this pull and this attraction to my boyfriend, but I didn't feel any differently about my husband. I wasn't pulling away from him. I didn't feel like ashamed. I didn't feel anything because I wasn't hiding anything. I wasn't having an affair. I wasn't sneaking around. I was very open and honest. And I started stumbling across polyamory. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Because my only experience with that had been like polygamy and like watching the show Big Love and a, like, you know, like a man taking multiple wives. And of course I couldn't wrap my head around any of that because that's the only depiction I had seen of it where the women are all miserable and the dude's like, hey, I get everything I want. I get to have like a harem, uh, you know, available to me. And so like I started Googling and coming across polyamory and like reading stuff and I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Like this explains like how I'm feeling. And so after reading some of that stuff and just really like being like, oh yeah, I identify with this. Um, because I do think, you know, there's still a lot of that debate about whether like polyamory is like uh, an orientation or whether it's like a choice. Um, and I definitely feel like it can be both. And for me, it is an orientation and a choice. And so, um, I started having conversations with my husband about it, that like, I was feeling attracted to my boyfriend and that I was interested in him in that way. And that I was trying to unpack why is me having sex with him an issue? Because it doesn't change how I feel about you or my availability to you. So I started being like, 
why is that the line? Like, I feel like that's the autistic in me that I just, I needed, uh, like, autistic people, like, we have a very strong sense of justice and of, like, upholding, you know, the rules and everything when we understand them. So, like, you know, when the rules make sense, like, as far as, like, masks and everything, it's funny because people always argue, like, um, the sensory part of wearing a mask that, like, autistic people are going to have difficulty. And that often is the case for children. But for adults, it's like, Yes, it's uncomfortable, but we can get past it because we we understand the reasoning behind it, that it, it's justified. We can get on board with just about anything if, if we see the justification for it. We don't do well with arbitrary rules that are made up for no reason. And so like that very much for me aligns with monogamy because I'm like, why is that the line? Why does it matter what I do with my body when it has nothing to do with you? It has nothing to do with how I feel about you or anything. It's very much like about me. And, and so I started developing some of that like autonomy and some of the understanding that I'm my own person, that we are not two halves of a whole. And just like deconstructing some of that like biblical perspective of what love and romance is that like, this is not my other half. This is not like to become one. Like we are two separate people with separate interests, separate desires separate, you know, sex drives and like, uh, needs and everything, you know, like, I don't care how in tune you are with somebody. I find it impossible to expect that two people are going to have the same sex drive at all times. There are times where like, I have a higher sex drive or he has a higher sex drive. And it seems unfair that one of us should have to cater to the other is kind of the way that I see it. So I'm like, I had to get to a point where, because as a wife, I was feeling like it was my duty to suck it up and have sex when I didn't want to, or to like, you know, reward him with sex, because that is the picture that Christianity painted that like, I'm his property and I owe him. And to instead be like, no, I'm my own person. And if I don't feel like having sex and somebody pushes me to have sex, that is rape. And it is possible to be raped within the context of marriage, right? So I had to kind of unpack, like, if I don't want to have sex, I'm not going to have sex. And that was like a huge transformative experience for me in line with all of this. And that I was like, if you have sexual needs that I can't meet, I think you should meet them with someone else. And that doesn't change the way you feel about me. It just means that I can't meet all of your needs because I'm a person. I am not a sex doll. And so like, that was kind of like a little little rabbit trail but anyways my point was that like I I came to this understanding why is sex the issue why can I have this intimate friendship where I talk about all this stuff and I hang out and I spend all this time with him but sex is the line you know I feel like if I have a sexual urge that I want to act on I should be able to because it doesn't have anything to do with you and so that thankfully for me because I know this is not the case for everyone thankfully for me he was kind of like yeah, you're right. Why is it the issue? And I'm very fortunate in that way because he was raised by a single mom and like it has always been more feminist leading, leaning and like very, um, again, like, uh, you know, sees the world the same way that I do. And so for me, it was an easy conversation. And that's not to say that we haven't had our struggles with getting through like societal norms and like just these expectations and these things that have been hardwired into us that we've had to like kind of dismantle. We definitely still have had our moments. There's a lot of jealousies and insecurities that we've had to unpack, but I feel like we've had an easier time of it than a lot of people do because 
we understand the why behind it and it all makes sense to us. So when we experience jealousy or insecurity, we're like, well, that's not founded because you're not my property. And so we're able to move through it pretty quickly. Whereas I feel like, especially in my relationship with my boyfriend, that is not the case because he's very neurotypical and he is very monogamous. And so that is something that we are constantly having to kind of like navigate through that keeps coming up in our relationships. So it's, it's fascinating, but yes, to your point, yes, I did. I did stumble into polyamory by accident and now I just can't imagine living my life any differently. So (laughs) thank you so much for sharing all that you did today about your journey and where you came from and I loved every single, I feel like I'm going to pull out so many little like amazing things that you said. Um, and I love the way that you view polyamory as a whole and yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and listening to my story. Cause you can tell I love to talk, but also <laughs> it was great. I have such a special interest talking about this stuff. So yes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash purity to polyamory. You can also find me on Instagram at purity to polyamory or email me at purity to polyamory at gmail.com. I'm going to do a little shout out to Sam Montooth for our music. You can find his information in the show notes today. And as always, I hope you're having a wonderful day and be well, friends.